Hey legends, I'm Eliza Lee and you're listening to the Making of an Incredible MD, the podcast for aspiring medical professionals. Last season, we geared you up with a ton of different topics and ethical dilemmas to think about in the medical field. And on this season of the podcast, we're taking you behind the scenes of live MMI mock stations that we run for our students who are about to sit their med interviews. So stay tuned for a new station each week and hear a handful of our future med students give it a good old crack. Today on Station 11, we have another one of our University of Melbourne examiners, Connie, interviewing one of our aspiring med students, Nell. This station was also run to GEMSAS timing, so Nell had one minute to read the station and then five minutes to respond. And today, the station that Nell read was this. Recent studies about the COVID-19 pandemic have indicated that individuals with chronic illnesses, including those related to lifestyle, such as smoking-related respiratory illnesses and diet-related liver diseases, experience greater severity of the virus than patients who are healthy prior to contracting the virus. Why do you think lifestyle illnesses, such as obesity and smoking-related conditions, are so prevalent in our society when we have so much knowledge about their health-related detriments? So I think they're still so prevalent in our society. We do know now a lot about um, the potential factors that can contribute to those conditions, but it's something that probably it hasn't come out recently, but it's still something we're hearing a lot about and they're still sort of rolling out um, on platforms, um, public health campaigns, trying to educate people on those factors, things like smoking, things like, you know, reduced physical activity and um, energy dense and unhealthy foods and stuff like that. We're still hearing a lot about that. And so I think they're habits that have become quite entrenched in our lives and are are quite hard to change. Um, And so they're things that we still need quite a bit of education on. And so I think that's probably why they're still quite prevalent. Um, And they're also, they're difficult conditions once we have them to manage medication-wise. What do you think can be done to decrease the prevalence of lifestyle-related illnesses in our society? So I think one of the main ways, um, obviously, you know, putting more time and um, funding into research on sort of the ways we can treat um, with medications, with therapies, etc. They're good ways to approach reducing the prevalence, but I think probably a more significant and longer-term impact would be trying to prevent them from happening or occurring or the um, incidence of those diseases in the first place, aiming to educate people on ways to reduce the risk of of getting those diseases and those conditions, educating them on ways to take care of their own health and giving them the information they need to make those decisions, whether it's, you know, the risks of smoking or, you know, the benefits of um, eating healthier foods and exercising. I think having those educational either campaigns or interventions out there to um, reduce or prevent those conditions from coming about in the first place. I think that would be probably a more significant longer term way. What has the COVID-19 pandemic taught you about how people obtain public health information? Oh, okay. So I think there's, I think I've learned that there's a lot of information out there and it can be hard, especially with social media, it can be hard to sort of filter out what we can trust and what we can't trust, I guess. What I think also, because there's a lot of information out there, um, it can be hard for people, particularly 
if it doesn't align with their beliefs or what they what their values are because there's a lot of information there's that chance of misinformation and so that there's that risk of uh, or there's the likelihood of people not following what's provided by the experts themselves and scientists and health professionals. How would you respond to someone who accuses you of shaming for linking their lifestyle to serious health effects, such as in this scenario of COVID-19? I would apologise and I, I, I would say that my intention wasn't to sort of put them down or kind of embarrass them or sort of um, judge them for making decisions that will down the line affect their health. I would probably explain that it was more so just to kind of inform them on the potential risks of their lifestyle to themselves and other people. So your time is up. We just have <clears throat> one more question. So the last question is, what will you do to improve public health communication as a potential healthcare professional? I would, because social media is just like a bank of a lot of information, I wouldn't resort to social media straight away. I would probably try and target them to specific kind of institutions or organisations. That way it can reach people from a standpoint of a health professional and not something that they see on social media and something that they can kind of easily scroll past. So Nell did go over the five minutes for a gem sass station, but we kept going and here's the feedback. Good job. Okay, so how do you feel you went? I don't think I went well at all. Um, I think just maybe because I'm just nervous. I wasn't kind of, as I was listening to the questions, I was like, okay. But then as I was explaining, I was like, wait, what was the question? What am I answering? Obviously, everyone will be really nervous. Like, but yeah. you handled the question really well. So firstly, in terms of timing, it was a total of six minutes and 20 seconds. You can work yeah. on trying to cut that down a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of like general feedback, with this type of public health station, mm -hmm. these public health issues are really, really complicated. And so it's mm -hmm. really important to address or like look at some different um, frameworks and look at the different aspects of the issue. And I think you addressed a few of them really well. And you made clear of like what specific aspect you were talking about, which is really good. The first question, you said it's really hard to change the habits because um, people still need this education on how to like manage these conditions in terms of like medication as well as trying to educate those people is a really difficult thing to do and I thought that was a really really good point because when I looked at this question I thought the most important thing was like education as well and that's like a really big barrier another big point that you could also consider talking about is like uh, the social determinants of health because these also provide a really big barrier to like um, equal health outcomes and prevention of mm. things like obesity and smoking related conditions when I like have a question I like to kind of structure it a little bit just so like mm -hmm. the others can get like a clearer picture of your answer and what you're trying to say and it also helps yep. you kind of have a clearer mind and not try not get too confused with what you're saying so in terms of like the systemic determinants you could talk about like things like government policies and the culture and media and then you could talk more about like the societal determinants such as like housing employment food security mm -hmm. and education which you mentioned and then here I think talking about how like ink income gaps are increasing between like the rich and poor and it's easier to get cheaper and higher calorie foods that are quite nutrient dense so this mm. kind of exacerbates the problem of obesity and then on, on an individual level there's also like genetics and race and age with this question it's really good to emphasize people aren't always at fault and it's not good to like blame them um, mm. I think it's really important to understand the context that they're in and situation that they're in and how like the upstream factors have led them to where they are today of course yeah 
And then the second question, and you mentioned like education and putting more time and funding into research on the ways that we can treat them and good ways to approach reducing the prevalence, which is a really, really good point because I think approaching them um, from upstream factors is more effective than just like treating the, the, like the symptoms of the solution. And so you mentioned like giving them the information they need to make those decisions and such as like having campaigns is really good, a really good point to have. So going off of the public health campaigns that you mentioned, I think you could explore that point a little more because it is a really significant and effective way to reduce these kind of things happening. And I think you could say something like working with educators and young students to teach them about healthy habits early. After they acquire this knowledge, they can also teach their family and friends. And I think it's also when you teach the, the younger generation, I think because they are the ones who are predicted to have the highest burden of disease, like from a sedentary lifestyle, which mm. can lead to obesity. Mm-hmm. If you get them like interested in things like sports and healthy eating, it can carry them through the rest of their life. Whereas if you kind of target like older individuals, it might be harder to get them into exercise. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. In terms of like the public health campaigns, I think another important point that you could also mention is perhaps improving access to public and recreational facilities and communities. So like targeting like physical exercise, which is also really important in preventing obesity from occurring. Yeah, those points are really good. And that like those points slip away and you're just trying to kind of dig for other things. Okay. And then the next question was, what has COVID-19 pandemic taught you about how people obtain public health information? Oh, this one was... I was like, oh, goodness. <laughs> Didn't see that one. Yeah, I thought you answered this pretty well. So you said a lot of, there's a lot of information out there and it's hard to filter out what we can trust and mm. what we can't trust. And there's also the risk for misinformation. You also said that there's also a risk of not following what is provided by the experts. And I think you got all the main concepts there in that point that okay. mainly is that people do look online for information and mm. there's lots of risks and dangers in this because they might be spreading information that's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this misinformation also can create fear. And you mentioned people, lots of people get this information from social media. And especially now- nowadays, since we're all online, increases the spread, it has a chance to increase the spread of this misinformation. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, really important just to be aware of the risks, which you did touch upon, which is good. And then the next question was, how would you respond to someone who accuses you for shaming them for linking their lifestyle to serious health? So I thought this was quite a difficult question. Yeah. yeah. So you said, like, apologize and show them that your intention wasn't to put them down or embarrass them. I thought that was a really good point to make. And you also mentioned that it was more to inform them of their risk to the lifestyle and risk to the other people, not just to embarrass them, which is really good because I think it shows you're quite empathetic. It shows like you're compassionate and considering where they're coming from. With these kind of situations, it's just really important to acknowledge like what a difficult situation it is. And mm-hmm. you wanna like try to deflate the scenario and understand where their position is and where they got their information from. And then hopefully like, come to a compromise. In the real world, like things like this do happen really frequently. And mm-hmm. I was actually having a conversation with my, one of my tutors the other day and they said, when things like this happen, what they like to do is just, they have to just understand the context of where they're coming from um, mm-hmm. and where they're making those decisions from. Cause it's really important to like build trusting relationships with healthcare professionals. So you want to show them that you're understanding of them and not just disagreeing with them and right yeah and critical of them yeah yeah that makes sense and then the last question was what would you do to improve public health communication as a potential healthcare professional you said try to target specific things and 
not just yeah. something I see on social media. Yeah. It was still good that you had, you still were able to come up with something. With these questions, it's really important to have like a structured approach. And with these kind of questions, I like to have like a few frameworks because they help you kind of talk about the core principles of this issue, makes it clear like what you're talking about to the examiners. So what I think is a really important point to mention to improve public health communication is that um, I said, so advocacy can take a lot of different forms. It can be explored at an individual level, at the level of a patient and also a collective level and then like Mm. the level of society as a whole. And so that's how I would structure my answer, just like talking a bit about each of these levels. So yeah, yeah, at the um, individual level, it's like doctors are like pillars of the community and people do have an inherent trust in them. So you have more knowledge because you have more knowledge and insight into the health of the people in their community. People like do respect what you're saying. At the level of the patient, it's especially the job of the doctor, it's really important to engage like patients in conversations regarding COVID, obesity or vaccines so that when the time comes for the patient to utilise one of these services, they can do so in the most efficient way. Mm-hmm. The goal is to just improve health literacy and improve their capacity to maintain their own health. At a collective level, I think you could also mention something about having saying doctors having an active political voice because like I mentioned uh, before people do have like an inherent respect and trust for them so mm-hmm. they should be consulted when passing legislation and raising important health issues that they perhaps feel passionate about mm. yeah Oh, thank you so much. Well done at giving that a go, Nell. And if you guys want to have a go at more COVID-related stations, we have a few more coming up for you to practice on. And if you ever need any more real MMI practice, feel free to use the link down below in the show notes. We'll see you on the next episode.